Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, May 4th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanuna. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines, Jill, so you don't have to. Jill, this is a big day for Star Wars fanatics. May the 4th be with you. (laughs) My husband is very into Star Wars, and now my daughter is. uh, So we are going to be celebrating May the 4th. Wait, how will you celebrate? Which film will you be watching? That is not my department, Mosh. um, but (laughs) (laughs) But I did download a Star Wars bingo for my daughter to play. Oh, that's fun. We made a point, or I should say my brother-in-law, Scotty, and I made a point early on during COVID uh, to try to watch all uh, the main nine films. I think there's more than that at this point, but the original trilogy and then the uh, pre-trilogy and the post-trilogy. And I think I got through about eight of them. Uh, it, it It is worth the watch. It's a great pandemic watch for sure. It's funny, Jill, the idea of watching nine films just seems so overwhelming. And then you realize that there's TV series that you watch, that you binge, that are actually equal number of hours, <laughs> but somehow they seem more manageable in an hourly fashion. Well, for the sake of time, Mosh, let's get to the headlines here. Another mass shooting in America, this time in Atlanta, what we know about the suspect and the victims. Overseas, Russia accuses Ukraine of trying to kill Vladimir Putin with a drone strike over the Kremlin. Two potentially big medical breakthroughs, a vaccine to treat RSV, and also a potential treatment for Alzheimer's. Onto the economy, the Fed raises interest rates to their highest level in 16 years as it tries to bring down inflation. And Jenny Craig will close its doors after four decades in the weight loss business. And Mosh has on this day in history. Jill, a little history of May the 4th be with you and how that all got started in the late 70s uh, and a throwback to uh, one of my favorite one-hit wonders of the 90s, Jump Around by House of Pain. We begin with another mass shooting in America, this time in Midtown Atlanta. After an extensive hours-long manhunt, police say that they did catch the suspect, 24-year-old Dion Patterson, about 11 miles from the shooting in Cobb County. Police say he killed at least one person and wounded four others, three of them critically, Earlier in the day, police say that he went to a medical facility for an appointment. At some point, he became agitated, pulled out a handgun and opened fire. One of the victims was shot in the arm, another in the face. Police say Patterson was with his mother, who was not injured and is cooperating with officials. All of the victims were women ranging in ages from their 20s to their 70s. Police say Patterson fled the scene after carjacking a vehicle. They were able to monitor him through the city's camera system. They say technology played a big role in his capture, but also credit the police officers for doing great work to track him down. Mosh, we talk about the ripple effects of these mass shootings. Police had been dispatched to every school in the area. Kids were dismissed late out of an abundance of caution. So you can imagine what the parents were going through, what the kids were feeling like. This area is a busy commercial area. There are tons of businesses, bars, and restaurants. And this is the second mass shooting in that Midtown area in less than a year. Yeah, Jill, talking about the technology here, uh, they apparently had a license plate reader in Cobb County, which is uh, what detected the pickup truck that he stole. Uh, There were sightings all around Cobb County, legitimate sightings of Patterson as he was driving around as they were trying to catch up with him. Later in the day, a real-time operator flagged 911 a call about the suspect that appeared legitimate. An undercover cop then went to the scene, saw and confronted Patterson. Backup was called, and then he was taken into custody. 
We're learning more about him. Uh, the U.S. Coast Guard confirms that he joined the Coast Guard back in 2018, was discharged earlier this year. His mother has been interviewed about this. She was with him earlier today, saying that he was dissatisfied with his care that he was receiving at the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, and was seeking better care here. Uh, President Biden was monitoring the situation throughout the day. Notably, the U.S. Senator from Georgia, Raphael Warnock, uh, had two children who were locked down in Atlanta. So this was really impacting everybody. And to your point earlier, it's not just those uh, who are on the scene, those who are uh, shot, wounded, etc. It's the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people really who were impacted by this in a major urban center, the schools, uh, the kids, etc., who have a certain level of trauma for having been part of a, uh, a mass shooting incident and having to locked down here. I was listening to an interview with Senator Warnock uh, on CNN late Wednesday night, and he was saying, what is it going to take that, that politicians, that lawmakers in D.C. are just so out of step with what Americans want, which is just some sort of common sense gun laws in this country? Um, and he says, look, it's every day now that we've got one of these mass shootings. Yeah, I mean, his Senate, he's in the U.S. Senate. They passed uh, comprehensive bipartisan gun reform to the extent possible last year. It appears now with House Republicans in charge that they don't really want to focus at least on the gun part of it. They want to focus more on the mental health or school security part of it. We still, it remains to be seen here how uh, this guy obtained the gun, what type of gun he used, whether it be impacted by any sort of legislation. But you do get the sense, just given the number of these types of incidents, especially just in the past few weeks that we've covered here on the podcast, that there is a level of frustration building up here and uh, hope that at least on a federal level, they might manage it. You certainly see it happening on a state by state level, though. And now let's head overseas. Two explosions occurred 15 minutes apart over Russia's Kremlin early Wednesday in an incident that set off accusations and escalated tensions between Russia and Ukraine. So Russia is claiming that the Ukrainian government had orchestrated a twin drone attack, describing it as a deliberate attempt to strike President Putin's residence. They say it was foiled by Russian electronic warfare systems. We should note that Putin was not at the Kremlin at the time of the explosions. Russia did not release any evidence to show that it was Ukraine that was behind the explosions. Ukraine denying any involvement, saying that Russia had manufactured the incident to distract attention from Ukraine's looming counteroffensive. An attack in the heart of Moscow, though, would represent quite a move by Ukraine with the potential to create serious repercussions. Yeah, there's a couple of videos out on social media and via Russian state media sources which show the explosion uh, overnight over the Kremlin. I uh, had an aerospace engineer reach out to me, Jill, um, on the Mo News account, who said the drones appear to be pretty small and they can't imagine they would have made it long distance from Ukraine, so they would have had to be launched domestically. There's still a lot of questions here, including why it took the Russians 12 hours to put out a statement uh, about this explosion. U.S. intelligence agencies are still trying to determine ourselves what happened. U.S. officials have in the past voiced concern about Ukrainian attacks on Russian soil, concern they could provoke Russia here. Uh, the the Ukrainians, again, deny any involvement here and believe this could be what's called a false flag operation, an insider operation by the Russians. So they can use that as an excuse to attack uh, leaders, potentially Zelensky, in Ukraine. The Kremlin did make a point, uh, as we noted, to publicize this incident, again, 12 hours 
after the blast, Putin's press service issued a rare statement alleging, quote, the Kyiv regime used drones to carry out an unsuccessful attempt on the life of the president. Again, despite the fact that Putin was not at the Kremlin at the time of the explosions. If the explosions were indeed a drone attack, this penetration of central Moscow's air defenses would represent an embarrassing failure by the Russian military, which has struggled in this now, I guess, 14-month war. We're going on the 15th month here. And so it's interesting here because this is an embarrassment to the Russians, but they made a point of publicizing it, which is then leading some other analysts. Again, you know, it's very hard to break through there and get a truth in Putin's Russia. But the fact that they're publicizing this could mean, again, they're trying to use this as a pretext to escalate the war further in Ukraine. And it does come, as you know, Ukraine is preparing its major counteroffensive in an attempt to take back uh, the about 15% of the country that Russia currently occupies. Meanwhile, in Russia, they're prepared to preside over their big annual May 9th celebrations. That's the main patriotic holiday in Russia. It celebrates the victory of the Soviet Union over Nazi Germany in World War II. Putin would be presiding typically over that, a major military parade in Red Square, just outside the Kremlin there. So to have this happen just a few days before that, is uh, particularly significant. There are some speculation, Moshe, that those celebrations are going to be majorly scaled back in the wake of this incident. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see who's to blame here. Was it a Russian insider operation? Was it a Ukrainian rogue unit? Was it uh, dissenters within Russia? Uh, was this some Western attempt? You know, like like many things, like the explosion of that gas line, the Nord Stream line between Russia and Germany last year, uh, a lot of things in this war, there are so many potential uh, culprits with so many motivations really trying to uncover here uh, what the truth is and who's to blame will be interesting. And then, of course, uh, will potentially have an impact on those celebrations next week. All right, Jill, we have a lot more to get to, including the speed read. But first, I want to thank our sponsor this week, Bull and Branch Sheets. That is Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch. We're so happy to be partnering with them again. It's a brand I have come to know and love and spend somewhere between five and eight hours uh, every night hanging out with. <laughs> Bowl and Branch sheets are made with 100% traceable organic cotton. They get softer with every wash. And now that we've had them for a few months, I can say with certainty that that is the case there. <laughs> They've been bought by millions, including another interesting fact I learned recently, four American presidents. So just under 10% of all American presidents have also used Bowl and Branch sheets. What's cool about Bull and Brand Sheets, and we talked a bit about this on the Instagram account recently, is they spend a lot of time focused on the supply chain. It turns out organic cotton is better for the environment there, especially where they grow it in India, including the health of the farmers in India. But let's get to the deal here right now for Monu's listeners. Starting now, you will get 15% off site-wide. Use our code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, to get 15% off today over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code MONEWS. Okay, time now for the speed read. An arrest in the Texas mass shooting that we've been telling you about from the Associated Press. The man accused of killing five of his neighbors near Cleveland, Texas last week appeared in court on Wednesday where he was charged with five counts of murder. It came a day after 38-year-old Francisco Oropesa was finally found. That four-day manhunt for him ended Tuesday when authorities acting on a tip said that they found the suspect hiding underneath a pile of laundry in the closet of a house. Officials say it was not a random house. Oropesa thought that he was safe there, and there was no indication that he was about to leave. 
But the arrest ends what had become a widening dragnet that had grown to more than 250 people from multiple jurisdictions. There was $80,000 in reward money. The FBI got more than 200 tips. That one tip that finally ended the chase came at 5.15 p.m. And then a little bit more than an hour later, Oropesa was in custody. Again, they found him in a home. It was about 10 miles from the original murder scene. Also yesterday, his wife was arrested for hindering the four-day manhunt. Yeah, we should note here, this is something law enforcement officials say all the time, but uh, that see something, say something works here. Uh, Obviously, there was the reward money, but uh, they were able to apprehend him because of a tip they got. So uh, they put out his picture, they put out notice, uh, the media was out there covering this, and so they were able to find him Again, just a few miles away. Oropesa is officially a Mexican national, Jill. He has already been deported four times from the United States. Twice in 2009, again in 2012, again in 2016, meaning officially that means he made it into the U.S. five times illegally. Jill, I happened to be on a panel on CNN Tuesday night um, as the press conference was happening just after they found him. And this is something we were discussing, which is the major uh, policy questions this leads to. This guy deported four times, uh, not uh, put in jail any of those times, just kicked out of the country each time, each time made his way back into the country, uh, happened to be living in Texas again, uh, owned at least five weapons, uh, felt comfortable enough to shoot them in his backyard. There was also a domestic At 11 p.m., by the way. <laughs> At 11 p.m. on a Friday night, he's here illegally. He's been deported four times. He's like, I'm going to shoot my gun in my backyard. The police had interacted with him before. There was a domestic violence accusation against him from his wife. She never filed charges, but clearly law enforcement had interacted with him and he was continuing to live here. So there's a lot of questions here as you peel back the onion on larger policy questions on a local, on a state level in Texas, on a federal level here, immigration questions, gun ownership questions, et cetera. We still don't know at this point whether he owned those guns legally, whether he bought them privately, et cetera. So there's questions there as well. The sheriff had said that prior to Friday's shooting, deputies had been called to his house at least one other previous time over shooting rounds in his yard. So again, he felt comfortable to just keep doing this despite not being here illegally. Uh, Back to the victims here for a second. All of the victims, the five that he killed, including the third grader, all from Honduras. Uh, One of the men who survived the shooting, Wilson Garcia, said friends and family in the home tried to hide and shield themselves and their children after Oropesa walked up to the home and began firing. Clearly in uh, that part of Texas uh, today, they're breathing a sigh of relief. Because uh, for a while, and we reported this on the podcast, the police said they had no leads, that the uh, hunt had gone cold here until they found him in that home. And Jill, law enforcement had said Tuesday night that they believed the home belonged to a family member of Oropaisa's where he was hiding there under the laundry. Yeah, it's never good when the FBI says that the suspect could be, quote, anywhere and that they were actually searching in Mexico as well. Uh, So definitely... So definitely some good news that at least he is in custody right now. Turns out he only made it about 10 miles away. On to the economy. From Reuters, the Federal Reserve approved its 10th interest rate increase in just a little over a year, but did hint that they may be done with any more increases, at least for now. So this time, the Fed raised rates by another 0.25%. Wednesday's hike raises the key rate to a range of 5%, 5 5.25%. That is the highest level in 17 years. The Fed got there in near record time, raising the rate from near zero in March of 2020 to now above 5% in just over a year. 
The goal is to beat back an inflation rate that has also reached a four-decade high as of last June. Officials are wrestling with conflicting economic challenges. Inflation remains well above their 2% goal, although it has started to moderate. The economy has also, though, shown signs of resilience. The job market is still really strong. Uh, despite these aggressive rate moves. Jill, one other thing that came up during the announcement of the Fed rate hike on Wednesday afternoon was this banking crisis. We've been talking about the several bank failures, the second, third, and fourth largest bank failures in American history all over the last two months. Uh, The Fed chair, Jerome Powell, said that because of that banking crisis, that's one of the reasons they're probably not going to be increasing uh, rates as much as they would. The goal, of course, here from the Federal Reserve is to tighten up the money supply. There's too much money out there. We're spending too much, which is what is leading to inflation staying elevated here. The idea behind Fed interest rate hikes is to make it less likely that banks would lend uh, to, you know, effectively dry up the money supply, less likely to take out loans, again, with the hope of bringing prices down because there's less money in our pockets to be spending. Well, that banking situation is sort of had the same effect, they say. Less money is going to go out here. Uh, Banks are going to be more cautious about uh, giving out loans to consumers, to businesses. So that could lessen the need here for more rate increases by the Fed. The fear here and the constant uh, battle is to raise rates without putting us into a recession. Although most economists and the Fed staff believe that the rate increases may tip the economy into a mild recession, the Fed chair Powell said that hiring is still so strong at businesses, it's possible to cool the labor market enough to bring down inflation without triggering a downturn, effectively have their cake and eat it too, bring down inflation without uh, bringing on a recession. But that is the uh, tricky tightrope walk that they're doing here. And so Powell says, and I'm sure we'll play this soundbite back in months, should this not be the case, this is what he said on Wednesday, the case for avoiding a recession is, in my view, more likely than having recession. So he still feels that being able to avoid a recession is more likely than a recession happening. So we remain here 24-7 on Recession Watch. (laughs) That would be what uh, experts call a soft landing. So if you ever hear that term, that is what they are referring to. Yes, and you have many bankers and many others saying, uh, buckle your seatbelts for a hard landing (laughs) here. Um, It is notable, Jill, and we put this up on the Instagram feed, the last time we saw rates this high, 06-ish, 07-ish, what happened the following year? We went into that 08 recession. Now, obviously, circumstances are very different from when they were um, during that era, but it does uh, have some similarities, which is why people, many, uh, remain cautious. Uh, and uh, your constant reminder, that it's financial advice you'll hear from most financial advisors, make sure to the extent possible to have six months of savings, basically six months of your basic expenses available uh, liquid for you uh, should the economy head that direction. Also in the business world from NBC News, Jenny Craig will close its doors after four decades in the weight loss and nutrition business. In an email sent to employees late Tuesday, the company said that it will close, quote, due to its inability to secure additional financing. Jenny Craig corporate and salaried field employees last day will be Friday and hourly center employees last day working was Tuesday. The company had recently said that it was going to be transitioning to an e-commerce model instead of the brick and mortar model that they had been operating on. Not clear, though, if that is still happening. A lot of this not confirmed by Jenny Craig. Uh, Most of this is just NBC News reporting. Yeah, NBC has been on top of this story. Jenny Craig has not been very open 
with this information, there are employees finding out kind of spur of the moment that it's all over. For the past two weeks, Jenny Craig reportedly has been running out of money as it searched for a buyer, uh, has been economic tough times for them as of late. It was founded 40 years ago, of course, to help people lose weight. The brand became a household name for weight loss. You might remember all of their commercials, especially in the 80s and 90s. They had a program that provided special menus designed by chefs and nutritionists to help consumers lose weight. You might have seen some of the celebrity spokespeople, Kirstie Alley back in the day, Valerie Bertinelli, Jason Alexander, George Costanza himself, uh, Mariah Carey, among the people who have been spokespeople for Jenny Craig through the years. But then they faced competition, uh, and now you have this whole trend towards Ozempic, uh, Wegovy, the various drugs that have hit the market. Uh, and the feeling is that Jenny Craig did not adapt quick enough to the changing nature of weight loss, hasn't adjusted. A weight Watchers themselves has been trying to get into the prescription weight loss drug business to stay afloat. They recently bought a company called Sequence, a telehealth subscription service that connects patients with doctors who then prescribe weight loss medication. Uh, Jenny Craig did not appear to do that, and so it appears uh, it is over for them. From the Hill, New York has become the first state in the country to bar the use of natural gas in new residential buildings. The provision will take effect in 2026 for new buildings, seven stories and shorter. And in 2029, for all other buildings, the Speaker of the New York Assembly says it's essential to achieving the goals of a 2019 climate law that sets a target of cutting emissions by 40 percent by 2030. Existing buildings, we should note, unaffected by this budget provision as our new commercial buildings. Yeah, so if you run a kitchen or a restaurant, uh, you appear to be unaffected by this. I know many chefs prefer Uh, gas stoves to electric stoves. Uh, A lot of this started in New York City. So the city itself uh, implemented a similar phase out earlier this year. It's set to expand to taller buildings in the city uh, within a couple years. So this now goes statewide to all of New York State. There are numerous similar policies in other cities, other localities. Berkeley, California became the first city in the nation to outright ban natural gas in all new construction. A U.S. appeals court struck that law down in April suggesting here that New York might have an uphill legal battle um, if they want to implement this. You might remember earlier this year, the federal government was seeking a proposed phase-out of new gas stoves nationally. They just threw that idea out there. It sparked a lot of backlash um, among folks on the right, among folks in the middle, um, You know, people who are against electric stoves for, for a whole variety of reasons or prefer gas stoves. So it does not appear to be happening nationally here. But like we see uh, many trend lines, especially in regards to climate change these days, it's happening on a state-by-state basis. All right, now on to some medical news. A major medical breakthrough Wednesday after a 60-year scientific quest. The world has its first vaccine to protect against RSV and more are on the way. On Wednesday, the FDA approved Arexv, which is designed to be given as a single shot to adults who are 60 and older. Although RSV is a disease that is often associated with babies and young children, it can also be quite dangerous for seniors. In the U.S., an estimated 159,000 adults 65 and up are hospitalized each year with RSV, and an estimated 10 to 13,000 people die as a result of their infection. In a clinical trial of nearly 25,000 older adults, the vaccine, which is made by GSK, 
was 83% effective at preventing lower respiratory tract disease caused by the virus. The vaccine was 94% effective at preventing severe disease in seniors. Yeah, the severe disease uh, percentage is very important because severe disease is defined by heading to the hospital. So it will, uh, it appears, Jill, be hitting the market in just a few months. It still needs CDC approval. It goes FDA and then CDC. The CDC then determines how it hits the market. It does set the stage here for a battle of multiple pharmaceutical giants. You note that first vaccine that was approved is made by GSK. Uh, There are others on the way. Moderna, uh, Pfizer also have RSV uh, vaccine candidates that are on the way. A decision on Pfizer's RSV vaccine for older adults is expected later this month. That vaccine did get a much less favorable endorsement from the FDA advisors. It was a closer seven to four vote on the safety and effectiveness there. Jill, the advisor's concern around that Pfizer vaccine, uh, which is still seeking approval, was around a rare risk about Guillain-Barre syndrome, the uh, nerve disease. Two of the participants in the Pfizer trial developed symptoms shortly after vaccination. So that's why they're taking a closer look at that. Of course, the one you're talking about is the GSK vaccine, which got much more overwhelming approval. It's interesting because you also mentioned that, of course, RSV impacts younger kids and experts are scheduled to meet in a couple of weeks to recommend whether a Pfizer maternal vaccination related to RSV given during pregnancy is safe and effective. That vaccine, if it was to work, if it was to get approval, would effectively give young infants antibodies through their mother while they're still in utero. An FDA decision on that particular vaccine is set for August. And then another big medical breakthrough, uh, this time, though, when it comes to the fight against Alzheimer's disease from the Wall Street Journal, an experimental Eli Lilly drug slowed cognitive and functional decline for people with early stage Alzheimer's disease. This new study signals drug makers are turning a corner in long running efforts to find meaningful treatments for the memory robbing disease. Denonimab is delivered by intravenous infusion in a study of more than 1,700 patients. The drug slowed patients' decline by 35% compared with people who received a placebo over 18 months of treatment. Eli Lilly says researchers gave the drug to elderly people who testing indicated were in the early stages of Alzheimer's. Researchers gauge the drug's effect by assessing various measures of memory and activities of daily living, like driving and managing finances. About 47% of patients who received the drug had no decline 12 months after the start of treatment. So based on this new data, Eli Lilly said yesterday plans to apply to the FDA for approval for donanumab, uh, this new drug. Approval could open the door for Medicare or other health insurers to agree to pay for the very expensive medication. Cost is going to be an issue here. The results do represent the second time Alzheimer's was slowed in a final stage trial by a drug that clears a brain protein called amyloid. This bolsters the controversial theory that that abnormal protein plays a key role in the disease. The success means patients and their caregivers could soon have another therapy to slow the disease that is along with uh, something called Legembi, made by a company called Esai, which was approved earlier this year. Esai is currently rolling out that therapy. Uh, they're partnering with Biogen on this. We should mention, though, Jill, while there is some good news with donanumab, the new drug is not necessarily a slam dunk, and folks do have concerns about this. One professor who recently enrolled patients in the study says from what he's seen, the benefits are relatively modest and may be outweighed by safety risks for some patients. About 24%, one in four of the subjects experienced brain swelling with donanumab, and an overlapping 32% 
had bleeding in the brain. These are side effects that we have seen with other similar drugs. So again, uh, there is some progress here and some hope. There has not been a major Alzheimer's breakthrough in decades, but still some concerns here um, as the FDA considers whether to make this, whether to approve this for the larger market. And as I mentioned before, another challenge will be cost and the lack of insurance coverage for these types of drugs. All right, now for On This Day, on this May 4th, we began the broadcast by saying, may the 4th be with you, Jill. So Star Wars did come out in May of 1977, though on May 25th. It wasn't until nearly two years later on May 4th, 1979, that this idea of Star Wars Day, may the 4th be with you, uh, really took uh, a hold here. It came as we told you yesterday on the podcast, this is the anniversary of Margaret Thatcher winning uh, the prime ministership of Great Britain in 1979. Well, her party took out an advertisement in the London Evening News that said, may the 4th be with you, Maggie, congratulations. So uh, some people point to that as the kind of origin of may the 4th be with you equals may the 4th be with you coming out of the UK there. We should note, by the way, that the film creator George Lucas also celebrates a birthday in May. May is a big month. The movie came out, may the 4th be with you. George Lucas's birthday uh, is May 14th, and he will be 79 this year. That is my dad's birthday. So your dad shares a birthday with George Lucas. You share a birthday with Donald Trump. I share a birthday with Jeffrey Dahmer. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jill, we don't love to talk about Dahmer. We like to talk about Notorious B.I.G. and Al Franken, uh, us May 21st birthdays. Yes, go with those. forget about him. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Jill... Uh, Today is also the birthday for the Grammy Award. On this day in 1959, the Grammy was presented for the first time, the most prestigious award in the music industry. Winners of the first edition included Ella Fitzgerald, Henry Mancini, and Frank Sinatra. A little political news here on this day in 1961, 62 years ago, the first Freedom Ride, the political protest against segregation of interstate bus travel in the South began as a group of white and black Americans departed D.C. on buses bound for New Orleans. Their goal was to protest segregated bus terminals at the time in many parts of the South. There were bus terminals uh, and uh, restrooms just for blacks versus just for whites. The Freedom Riders tried to use the whites-only restrooms and lunch counters at bus stations across the South. The groups were confronted by arresting police officers, violence from white protesters along their routes, but also drew international attention to the civil rights movement. All right, and we'll end here, as we typically do, with a bit of music news on this day in 1968. Jill, that is Steppenwolf. They made their U.S. TV debut on American Bandstand on this day with Born to be Wild. All right, and let's fast forward to the 90s and remember this hit. synonymous with Wisconsin football um, after the third quarter of every home game that song blasts and and the entire stadium pretty much goes wild so they have Ohio State they have Sloopy right yes, Sloopy. yes. <laughs> and then Wisconsin has jump around what do you guys in Michigan have is there a pop a pop culture song a, a major song that you guys play at your football games no but we throw marshmallows at um, anyone who's okay. wearing the opposing color Listen, everyone's got to have a tradition. (laughs) (laughs) Very mature. Um, So that was House of Pain 31 years ago with uh, releasing their song Jump Around. I remember also, for some reason, Jill, I guess I watched enough Mrs. Doubtfire as a kid. It's at the beginning of Mrs. Doubtfire. There's like a party going on and they're playing Jump Around. (laughs) Yeah, it came out just after that song. 
All right, I'm going to go rewatch at least the beginning of Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And thanks to all of you who continue to join Mo News Premium, the Mo News team. Uh, Mo News Premium listeners today have a special podcast out, a conversation I had with Luke Russert, a son of Tim Russert, former Meet the Press moderator. Uh, he is a journalist. He then went on a journey around the world for the last three years to find himself. Fascinating conversation about loss, finding yourself, self-doubt. Uh, and we talk about the state of the media, etc. So you can catch that on the premium podcast. If you're interested in joining, it'll give you access to a lot more content over at mo.news slash premium, our members only podcast, as well as a members only Instagram feed. All right. Bye, everyone. Later, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.